Syracuse basketball keeps losing heartbreakers. The football schedule is out. We got a lot to cover. We got some hypotheticals. We've got a mailbag. We've got some schedule talk. It is locked on Syracuse. It's a Wednesday. Let's have some fun. Our locked on Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Syracuse. Thanks for making Locked On Syracuse your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Owen Valentine here. No bones today. Uh, We are very excited uh, in his future endeavors, but also a little bit sad to see him phase out here with Locked On Syracuse. Obviously, you know, Bones was here when when I came in and took me in, taught me the ways, brought me in, and has continued to be uh, a huge part of me jumping in here and being a part of this and he's a friend of mine when we were at school so definitely tough to see him go but 100% excited for him in this in this new journey he'll be back tomorrow we believe for what will probably be his final episode barring maybe a surprise appearance down the line if schedules link up and things permit but uh this is for a little bit of time going to be the new normal uh I'm sorry if that is frustrating for you but we are going to do the best that we can. And by we right now, I will do the best that I can uh, in terms of providing the the same content, the same conversations, uh, whether that means bringing a couple of people in, seeing a few new people uh, and hearing from some different perspectives. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but we are working on a few things uh, to try and bridge that gap and see what the, the next step for the pod is. We will continue to bring you Syracuse coverage every single day that we possibly can, Monday through Friday. Uh, as often as we can. So today, we didn't really hit on this in yesterday's episode just because that Virginia game took so much out of us, was so uh, frustrating down the stretch, and and to see another opportunity like that sort of fall through the fingertips, this wasn't really brought up. But we do have a football schedule to take a peek at at this point in time. Uh, So something exciting, something new to talk about for those of you that are, are done with basketball for now or too frustrated with basketball to want to talk a ton of basketball at this point in time. This is something to change the subject. It's kind of funny, you know, how we've gone full circle, right? The the 6-0 and start and no one was talking basketball and the basketball talk just kept getting pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. And then the football team went on that 0-5 stretch after the 6-0 and start. And we were like, where's basketball? Bring me basketball. Give me basketball content. And then as basketball content vamped up, we are are scratching at the surface for for something else to take our minds off it maybe uh, for a little bit of time. So we've got a football schedule to take a look at. Uh, If you're a lacrosse fan, Syracuse lacrosse opens up, I believe, against Vermont on Saturday. So there's another idea in terms of taking your mind off of Syracuse basketball at this point in time. Uh, But a schedule. Uh, It's an interesting one. Uh, I took a look and it sort of came out during the game yesterday, so I didn't get the greatest look at it at that point in time. Uh, But we had some things that we understood, right, your September at this point in terms of your non-conference starts with Colgate September 2nd, then you get Western Michigan. You go to Purdue this time around after an absolute thriller when Purdue was in the Dome uh, earlier this year or technically last year now that this is 2023. 
Uh, an absolute thriller came down to the wire, obviously. Schrader to Gadsden to win it. Um, hopefully, right, that, that series continues some sparks. And I'll tell you what, that Purdue team uh, finished out the season really, really solid and became quite a reputable win for Syracuse uh, in what was a, a disappointing back half of the year. From there, you take Army at home, and then the ACC opener, September 30th, which is also the homecoming game, is Clemson, and that Clemson game starts an absolute gauntlet to open up ACC play for Syracuse. You go Clemson, then to UNC, then to Florida State. That is probably the toughest three-game stretch given the 12 games on the schedule for Syracuse. That is probably the toughest three-game stretch you could have possibly thrown together. Clemson does what Clemson does. We know that. We're aware of that. We know the type of team they are. We know the type of talent they bring. Fortunately, Syracuse plays them decent a lot of the time. And, and a home game with a home crowd and a homecoming game, you know, should present an opportunity like that. But then you go to a UNC team that sort of similarly to Syracuse started last year really, really solid and then faded out a little bit, but a tough team to play at this point in time. And what a lot of people are, are seeing as one of the most loaded teams in college football, Florida State is an incredible football team right now, bringing back talent, bringing in talent via the transfer portal, bringing in a decent recruiting class. That game is going to be an absolute nightmare. Uh, and unfortunately for Syracuse, you do follow up that three-week stretch with the bye week. So in theory, right, you're going to get banged up playing against Clemson, UNC, Florida State. That is a stretch that's going to get you a little bit banged up. Uh, but the bye week should help. It seems like a well-timed bye week. Then uh, October 26, you go to Virginia Tech, and then November comes. And it's, it's a pretty simple November, honestly. Uh, and that is, you know, one of the perks of playing that Clemson-UNC-Florida State stretch is you can have the easier stretch of your schedule in November at that point in time. So you go verse BC at home, then you play Pitt at Yankee Stadium. I will give the thoughts on that in a second. Then you go to Georgia Tech and you wrap up the season November 25th uh, at home with Wake Forest. Uh, so a couple of big things. The first one I've sort of already hit on, that Clemson-UNC-Florida State stretch is a nightmare. Uh, and I, I think any Syracuse fan would be very much, very much pleased with a one and two performance in that three-week stretch. Uh, one win in that stretch is going to be massive. So being able to come out of there with anything outside of three losses, which is probably the most realistic thing, anything but three losses in that scenario is, is a win in all reality. So, so that would be a tough stretch uh, and anything coming out of there would be huge, but who knows? Uh, I sort of said it as well. The November stretch looks decent, but the, the big thing, and it's sort of been the talk of Twitter for, for football fans and some football minds, especially today, uh, I'm recording this Tuesday night, so today I was seeing a good amount of it in terms of sort of reflecting after yesterday when the focus was or Virginia and basketball, and now we can sort of start to think about football a little bit more. I, I don't think I'm a huge fan of this Yankee Stadium game, and I don't think a lot of people are either. This is right at the cost of a home game, and yes, it's the 100th anniversary of Yankee Stadium and playing games there, but right? One, this is a new Yankee stadium. Two, you're sacrificing a home game. And three, you played there well, a month ago at this point in time, or two months ago 
at this point in time, right? It's not like you haven't played at Yankee Stadium in a while. You played there last year. You played there in 2018. You played there, it seems like, every bowl game of the early 2010s. You're playing your New York City games. The New York City crowd is getting their fill. Uh, The travel, right? People that want to see New York City for a Syracuse football game. People have done it. This is not a necessity, and it comes at a sacrifice, right? Syracuse, for what it's worth, has a home field advantage in the Dome. Dino says it, right? You play in the Dome. Nobody's playing in a Dome. Everyone says it, right? Opposing uh, reporters that we had on through the football season mentioned it, right? That even though they're playing in, for example, a Purdue reporter was talking about it, right? You're playing in Big Ten stadiums where you're seating 100,000 people. The 30K in the Dome for Syracuse-Purdue was louder than a lot of, I believe the guy said, was louder than any game that he had worked in the Big Ten, right? That is the sort of advantage that the Dome presents. And and that is something that I, I don't think a team that, right, is struggling to get to 500 and get to bowl games in a program that the success metric is a bowl game. It is really detrimental to take away an opportunity to play in the Dome, right? You basically turn this into, and by basically, right, this now is a neutral site game with a team where it's not like, right, you're playing Clemson or a team from the South at Yankee Stadium. You're playing a team that is relatively equidistant away from Yankee Stadium to you. You're sacrificing a bit of home field advantage in terms of you not being in the Dome, but also in terms of your crowd, right? This has the makings to very possibly be a split crowd against Pitt at Yankee Stadium and something that I would assume a lot of people, uh, myself included, are a little bit frustrated with. I will say this, and I, I'm sure as the offseason comes and basketball cools down and some more conversations begin to happen, we can take a look a little bit more in terms of where the wins are expected and some of the the more underlying intricacies of this. Um, but for now, that's sort of where we'll leave the schedule. We got some mailbag chatter to come out, but before that, we are going to hear from our new friends over at FanDuel. So we are really, really excited for our new sports betting partner for Lockdown because they're the number one sports book in America. Yes, that's right. It's FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because they have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet the Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Here is something that that I have been looking at. I I told you right last week I gave you a handful of bets. I wasn't sold on it right now. Uh, The line the last time I checked was about one and a half for the Eagles. I like the Eagles. I, I think that offense is so tough to defend because of the number of ways they can come at you. Uh, And the defense has been playing solid. So I I would lean to the Eagles in terms of that bet. Uh, But do remember that is by no means gambling advice out of me. And if I were you, maybe I'd fade me the way that things have been going. So the FanDuel Sports app is safe, secure. It's super easy to use. And best of all, you can get paid for your winnings instantly. I I hit big last year in the Super Bowl for uh, for FanDuel. So I I am a big fan of FanDuel for sure. Join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official 
sports book partner of the NFL. And I'll tell you what, speaking of the NFL, I, I think there's something worth noting here because we, we do have some additional coverage that via Lockdown you can have access to. Lockdown's headed to the Senior Bowl, so you can get inside analysis from the hosts that covered the NFL's next generation in college and find out which NFL draft boards these players will be climbing all in one location. So subscribe to Lockdown NFL Draft for nightly live shows from the Senior Bowl on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and on Thursday, all at 9 p.m. Eastern. I've been seeing some highlights from Matthew Bergeron at this point. It looks like he's had a solid day so far and a solid Senior Bowl so far. So we look forward to continuing to see updates on him and how he's doing because he's a guy that I think could uh, could continue to climb some draft boards and, and see some, some things like that. We are doing a mailbag episode today for the remainder. Give me one second to take a sip of water. I need a little bit of a, of a thirst. Lovely. So got a handful of questions over on Twitter today. So I'm interested to see sort of uh, what the thoughts were and where these fall. I took a quick peek at them, but uh, nothing all too crazy just yet. Uh, let's start with Cole. Uh, Cole with the first reply that I'm seeing right now talking about Judah. Judah has been great this season, but I'm not convinced he's a for sure one and done right now. I personally think it's best for him to stay one more year. Uh, but what do you guys think? Also, do any of the seniors stay for another year? So we'll start with Judah. Um, he is such a tweener right now in, in my mind and in mocks that I'm looking at and in some draft analysis about him. He, he seems like in terms of big boards and where he's falling right now is sort of that late one, early two range. I think all of Syracuse, and I think a lot of people understand that there would be a ton of benefit for him to come back and try and work some things out, especially the shooting, right? The free throw percentage is one of the big concerns uh, that uh, draft analysts have, and especially, right, the three-point percentage is something of great concern. You look at the NBA, and there are not a ton of guards that you see succeed in the NBA uh, that cannot shoot the three. Uh, at any clip, right? He's at about a one for five clip right now. That is not going to cut it at that level. And I think that's what the big concern is. Obviously, right? He plays the zone, the defensive ability. You can see it, but you can't always judge it to perfection in the zone. Uh, his scoring is incredible inside the arc, right? That mid-range jumper has been outstanding. His ability to create, pull up, get to the rim, acrobatic finishes, things like that. But when you do look at Judah right now, I think you see a player that could definitely benefit from just more experience to gain that maturity, gain a little bit of composure down the stretch. We've seen a few instances like that, but this is a guy right now that, that balls out and is in the conversation for ACC rookie of the year has been outstanding. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this season, he says, Hey, I'm going to test my luck in the draft uh, and see what I can do up there. I don't think anybody would, would question it. I think it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, I think a lot of people see that there is benefit for him coming back and working out some of these kinks and trying to figure out, you know, what it is that he can do to elevate his game. Because he's a guy that I think, as a two-year guy, has lottery potential to be a lottery pick and to be that caliber of a player if he can come back in year two and have some of these things ironed out. So that is the type of potential I think you see out of him. 
But at the same time, right, that's something that an NBA team sees. And all right, right, he's got incredible ability to pull up and create for himself and get to the rim. Uh, and he does so much. And I, I like the intangibles a lot of the time. There's been a few moments with him maybe that I've been a little frustrated in sort of how we approach things. But uh, I was reading an article the other day and someone said he, he definitely led the team in high fives, which I love to see in terms of leadership. Right. This is something that an NBA team could say, hey, we can we can work that stuff out with you. And we would rather work that out with, with our coaching staff and our facilities and our stuff to be able to get that done. So I don't know what will happen with him. There is 100 percent benefit to him coming back. But at the same time. If I am an 18 or 19 year old player with the chance to potentially get drafted. I don't know how you say no. So I understand that I get both ways in terms of the second part of that question. Sorry to, to ramble about part one. Um, in terms of seniors staying for another year, I don't know my thoughts on that. And I want to give this a little bit more thought. It, it seems like something right now where I almost just want the fresh start. I want to move on from the, from the Joe Girard and from the everybody is angry at Joe every game, even when Joe plays a decent game, people are still angry. Uh, and the Joe is the best option, but Joe shouldn't be the best option. All of these narratives, many of them, like rightfully so. I, I'm not denying the fact that these should be here or should be brought up or things like that. But it, I, I think personally, I am ready for that not to be the situation and for the other guys to come in and step up and do what they need to do. If Joe comes back, I don't think it hurts the team drastically, right? There's no recruiting class in the class of 23 at this point in time. So I don't think it hurts a ton, but I, I think it doesn't necessarily help all too much in terms of the changes that you want to see and where, you know, fans want this program to get back to. In terms of Jesse, I'd like to see him back. I don't know if he will. Jesse just strikes me as a guy that's done his time and he's going to go and, and get paid over in Europe and, and make some good amount of money with American basketball experience. It seems like, right, the perfect fit to be able to get like a domestic contract almost where you're you're not taking American talent, but you're taking American experience over there. So there's money to be made over there. I don't know. I I'm curious to see what happens because obviously they both could choose to come back. Um, and I'm not sure there's an option in there that I would be 1000% surprised, right? If Joe comes back, I'm not sure I'm shocked. If Jesse comes back, I'm not sure I'm shocked. If they both leave, I don't think I'm all too surprised. If they both come back, I don't think I'm all too surprised. Like all of these outcomes seem like something that could happen. I don't necessarily have fully formed thoughts on that just yet. Uh, let's take another quick break uh, and then we will continue with this mailbag. We got a question on here that I, I think is a really fun hypothetical that we'll probably close out the episode with today. Uh, but before that, let's talk a little bit about Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want to waste or don't want all that fat and all of the calories, then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays and I, I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then I've got just the thing for you. Try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. They're so delicious, and you th won't think they're good for you. That's how good they are. 
And it is perfect for early on in the year when you're trying out some new things. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. They're not messing with you. It's real chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, like peanut butter brownie, and like coconut almond. I don't know how Built does it, but they taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and four grams of sugar with 17 grams of protein. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, grab yourself a box of Built Bars, can pick up a four bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puffs. Built Bar, go ahead and grab them. They are delicious and they are healthy. All right, a couple more questions and we will wrap up the episode for today. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit, courtesy of Justin, and Caleb also uh, chimed in on this one before his next question. Uh, the commitment from Elijah Moore in the class of 24, I think I'm incredibly excited for. This is a guy that, that has a lot of potential and he plays with incredible talent. Uh, and that is something that I think helps a ton when you've got a guy that can come in and really be such a huge contributor um, because of the level of basketball that he is playing at, uh, at Cardinal Hayes. And I mean, that team is something to, to really check out. I mean, it is unbelievable to see how much talent is on that roster. And I, I think Bones and I were scrolling through the top 100 in the class and Cardinal Hayes is written all over the place, obviously led by Ian Jackson, uh, who's the UNC committee. He's the number two player in the class. Uh, and these two just play off each other and they play well. And so he's got that experience in terms of playing at a high level, even in high school. Uh, I, I think he, he's got so much potential and it's a really exciting commitment, right? You, you sort of saw and it's got to be one of the coolest things ever as a high school guy to you're, you're playing in the Bronx, right? And he, he drops 37 points and then he hops on a private jet with a boogie and flies and sits courtside with Adam Weitzman and watches a Syracuse game, a real good Syracuse game at that. And yes, they fall short, but you see a pretty good crowd, probably one of the best crowds of the year in that UNC game. And then you fly back. Like that is one of the coolest things ever. Plus, you know, the agreement with Weitzman, I don't know what the exact details are, but seems like he'll be getting paid uh, and making some NIL money courtesy of that. So I'm excited for that. And then uh, they wanted to talk a little bit as well about Marcus Adams. So Marcus Adams was at the Virginia game. Uh, I was talking with him a little bit earlier today. Uh, and he said he definitely wants to come back and go again, uh, which I think is a huge sign to see that the Dome had that impact. He said the Dome's a great place. Uh, love seeing that. And so to hear that, that he definitely wants to come back, I, I think is a really good sign. And when we talked with him, what, about a week or two ago at this point in time, he seemed really high on Syracuse. And even though, you know, he's a, a California kid who maybe doesn't know everything there is to know about Syracuse at this point in time, it seems like what he is picking up and what he is starting to see about the orange is a lot of positives. And it seems like uh, Syracuse will be courtesy of that interview. We said Syracuse is in the top five, but the top five should be coming out relatively soon. So something to keep an eye out for in that regard. Uh, all right. So this is the big question at this point in time, uh, because I think it's a really fun hypothetical. 
I would love for anyone to reply on Twitter or in the comments or wherever, right? Hear your thoughts on this. But it's a fun little hypothetical from Caleb Patry on Twitter. If this is last year's team, the 21-22 team, and this is the starting lineup, what do you think their record is? Caleb says it's borderline ranked team instead of a losing record. And the hypothetical starting lineup is Kadari Richmond at the one, Buddy at the two, Cole Swider at the three. We're going to say Quincy does not transfer, and Quincy is at the four with Jesse at the five. I'll tell you, first and foremost, this is not a team with a losing record. I will lead with that. That is not a team that has a losing record. That is a team that ends up being much better than what last year's team put together. And I think ranked does seem like the proper threshold. And I don't think anybody is going to come out here and say that you would have rather had Jimmy Bayheim and not have Quincy available. And, and I think that is a realistic thing. I, I think Quincy's rebounding and uh, what he can bring to the table in terms of just a little more mobility, right? That team last year, all I remember is slow and slow and not being able to move. Uh, and, and I think the rebounding that Quincy provides, the spark that he could provide would be absolutely massive and would have been absolutely massive. And I think my favorite thing about this too, which is not the starting five that you listed, but it's the bench play that can come in and contribute. I think this starting five puts Joe Girard in the role that he initially coming out of high school was probably intended to be in as a sixth man that comes in off the bench. And his only job is to be a a quick shooter and a spot up shooter and to be a quick little spark to see Joe in that role would be so much fun. Uh, So yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I think it's a tournament team with that lineup. Uh, I think some of these games you could find flip-flop, right? I mean, Syracuse didn't have a great year last year, obviously, as they went 16 and 17. But I think you, you've you got some lower-level games that could flip, right? That Georgetown loss obviously stands out as games that could flip. Colgate, uh, where you got absolutely embarrassed in the Dome, um, a game that you want in that mix. I mean, they played some good teams as well, right? Auburn's a good team. Villanova's a good team. I'm not sure that those outcomes change with this team, but your, your middle of the pack games as well, where you're playing uh, an okay UVA team or an okay Miami, or oh, they lost to Pitt, who was terrible last year. I forgot about that, right? I think that team wins a handful more of your middle of the pack games, and you probably end up in the regular season instead of 15 and 16. I, I don't, see a reason that this isn't a 20 and 11 type team or something like that, or maybe 21 and 10 type team in the regular season. I think that's a very good hypothetical. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't really get to see it play out. Uh, I'm still a little bit right. We're, we're two years removed from it now. When I heard Quincy was transferring, I'm still a little surprised that it was Oregon where he landed just because it seemed pretty linear in terms of minutes. He actually took a six minute a game dip. His first year at Oregon, his points per game dropped 3.6 points per game the first year at Oregon. Uh, The three-point percentage stayed about the same. The field goal percentage dipped overall. Uh, The rebounds dropped by three a game. For all intents and purposes, he dipped a little bit by leaving Syracuse in terms of minutes, in terms of stats, in terms of production. Uh, It still is something that I I haven't quite wrapped my head around because it's a bit surprising to me. But It is what it is. 
Uh, thank you for reaching out. We appreciate the mailbag questions. I thought that was a fun little hypothetical. Feel free to let me know and let us know what you would think about that hypothetical starting lineup uh, of last year's schedule with Kadari at the one, Buddy at the two, Cole Swider at the three, Gary at the four, and Jesse closing things out at the five. I think that would be a tough team to compete with and a team that had the potential to really be competitive in any game that they played. Um, but that'll do it. We bring Bones back for one last episode tomorrow. Uh, thanks for making Locked On Syracuse your first listen today. For your second listen, we got a brand new podcast. It's Locked On College Basketball. You might find us on there uh, coming up pretty soon uh, with a little spot on Syracuse basketball. Experts Isaac Shade, or Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Owen Valentine. Thank you so much for listening. This is Locked On Syracuse. We'll catch you tomorrow.